Hello, Quebec, Canada, and maybe the world. You're listening to For He Must Reign, and I'm your host, Treebeard. Today we'll be continuing our discussion on worldview, and we've been comparing the biblical worldview, comparing, pardon, the biblical worldview in and against the secular worldview. And if you have missed out on part one and part two of this discussion, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to those because I've laid down a lot of the necessary foundation for understanding this discussion. And given that I try to keep the podcast between 15 to 20 minutes, and I did go a minute over last time, and who knows for today, um, I'm, I'm going to ask just that I, I, for the sake of not having to repeat things, that you go back listen to the podcast so you come back to this one this episode informed with proper definitions and able to understand exactly what it is I'm saying so today we're going to be discussing a little bit of apologetics I won't say that this will be the apologetic episode I'd like to maybe do some stuff on apologetics later but biblical worldview in terms of apologetics apologetics being defined I'm going to define it as Peter defines it which is um honoring Christ in our heart and being ready with a reasonable defense for the hope that we have within us. And so that really applies to all areas. A lot of people think of apologetics as the mean thing you do when you get in a debate with somebody, um, right? But the, the truth of the matter is apologetics is, is really the precursor for evangelism. If you're going to uh, engage with the world, um, you need to ask, what am I standing on? That, that is, what is my worldview? What is my lens? You need to understand theirs, uh, the person you're trying to reach. And, and, and that will actually help you engage better and more relevantly with the discussion and the issues at hand in order to allow the gospel to speak to those issues. Because, well, on this podcast, I believe and I teach that the gospel actually affects all areas of life it's a lot bigger than uh john 3 16 and just quoting that at people and and a, a set of intellectual ideas about salvation and soteriology uh and then that's it right it affects everything god is redeeming everything and so apologetics at least this approach to it this understanding of worldview helps us to understand how the gospel affects every area so that when we engage in the world, we have a reason defense for the hope that is within us. So I want to start, I want to uh, make a clarification uh, first off of what I, I don't mean. So today we'll be discussing one of my favorite questions. I ask this all the time by what standard I've, I've actually got a, a shirt uh, it's a sweater with greg bonson uh, one of my heroes of the faith on the front and on the back it says by what standard i love that sweater and and by what standard is my favorite question to ask and i ask it particularly when i'm dealing with uh atheists mainly atheists who are criticizing the bible atheists who are making moral and logical complaints against Christianity or the Christian worldview. And I'm asking, well, by what standard are you making those complaints? Why should I listen to that standard? Is that standard absolute? Is it always binding? And does is it something everyone agrees upon? Is that what makes it objective that that it's agreed upon by convention and i think these are these are important questions that i think the biblical worldview gives us an answer to by what standard well god says thus says the lord right whereas in the secular worldview there's a there's a lot of object 
subjectivity pardon. There's a lot of, well, uh, it depends. Society agrees on it by convention or uh, might makes right. You've seen that. And, and obviously no, no self-aware atheist is going to admit to those things. But as you poke into the discussion, you find that that's actually at the foundation. Because there's no objective governing God sovereign over all things, you're left in the realm of subjectivity the realm of relativity. Everything is relative to um, the person speaking, really. They get to decide for themselves what that standard is. Or whoever's in power gets to decide and everyone has to listen to them. Or else you get the gun or the jail cell or, or the ticket or whatever else it is. And so by what standard is actually a, a devastating question to a lot of worldviews. Um, to actually, I would, I would argue every worldview outside of the biblical worldview can be completely demolished by what standard. So let me explain what I don't mean when I say biblical worldview, like going to the Bible as a standard for all things. What I don't mean is you want to cook a stir fry. Let's say you own a restaurant and you want to, a, a customer order, orders a stir fry. And so you say to yourself, all right, time to open up the book of Leviticus, the section on stir fries, and see what God says about cooking stir fries. Right? That's not what I mean when I say having a biblical worldview. What I mean by having a biblical worldview is there is an ethical way <laughs> to do what you are doing. What does God say about the general equity of what you are doing? So, like, how do I apply the, the biblical principles to this? Joe Boot talks about how uh, Dr. Joe Boot uh, over in, at Ezra Institute talks about how uh, there's a funny joke that there is no Christian way to cook a stir fry. And, you know, he makes the case really that w when you find yourself on an island of, of, of tribes that have never heard the gospel, um, you learn quickly about stir fried man flesh. Right. Or when you get a person who is just morally corrupt in their heart, which is really all of us apart from Christ, um, you learn quickly how an angry cook could spit in your stir fry, right? It turns out there is a Christian way to cook a stir fry. So no, there is no section uh, B38 in the Levitical code that tells you how to do it. There's no uh, word for word fire code in the Bible, right? And so we ought to listen to people who know more about those. Like under, understanding that a biblical worldview and presupposing the Bible as a standard doesn't mean you can't buy a Gordon Ramsay cookbook. It doesn't mean that uh, if a fireman breaks into your church, you say to him, I'm sorry, sir. I know you're saying there's a fire, but Christ has authority over his church. And that's the way it is. No, you get out of the, get out of the building. Right. But if at the same time, you recognize that if a fireman breaks in every Sunday for a year and there's never been a fire, there's another motive. There's something else going on here. And right. And so we use logic. We use science. We use ration. Right. We use these things, but we allow these things to be governed by the Christian worldview. We understand that in the Christian worldview, we start with God's word. We apply the mind of Christ to these things so that we can do those things properly. That's what I mean when I say the gospel restoring all things. It's not just the salvation of your little heart where Jesus comes and lives. Little surfer, cool surfer Jesus comes and lives in your heart, dude. It's a lot more like the reforming of your mind to the mind of Christ in the arts, in cuisine, in business, in parenting, 
right? And so uh, I, that's what I what I don't mean. What I don't mean is uh, there are there is nobody in the world who knows better than you because you've got the Bible. It's just me, my Bible, and the mountains. That's that's not what I mean. What I mean is you conform first to the mind of Christ. And you, you reason from there, from God's mind down, not from man's mind up, right? And a lot of this is, is going to go into the discussion of epistemology. So what is epistemology? Well, it's an intimidating word to many people, but it really just means the study of how, how you know. Like, how do you know things? How do you know you're real? How do you know you're listening to my voice right now? How do you know you exist, right? Is it, I think, therefore I am? Or, you know, it's that kind of thing. Like, how do you know? Where does knowledge come from? Right? And so the Bible actually tells us that uh, we're to treasure the God's word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. Right? So we treasure the knowledge of God in our heart that we might not sin against him. And that's Psalm uh, one nineteen. It says that. Um, and then I've got another one here. Let me just open it up because my notes are a little, a little scattered because I've been re- working through um, various things. And so I want to make sure. Yeah, so uh, I want to get the, the proper reference. So in Proverbs 9.10, okay, so in Proverbs 9.10, the Bible actually tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So that's how we know things. Right, and all the knowledge of wisdom, uh, sorry, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. That's in Colossians 2, 3. And, and what I read before about Psalm 119, um, we have to treasure those words in our hearts so that we might not sin against them. So the Christian view of knowledge is that it's a revelational epistemology. We have a God who knows all things and shares that with us. Right, and there are some other um, views on epistemology. Some of the popular ones are the empiricist. Right, I believe in science. You hear this one often when you argue with unbelievers. They say, "Well, I believe in science. Truth is determined by what science says." Right, or you have the rationalist. The rationalist will say, "Well, I use reason and logic. That's how I know what is true. Truth is determined by logic and reason." Right? The pragmatist, that one I think is popular today, right? It works for me, therefore it's true. It's all based on how I feel, right? I feel this is true. I've lived that way. It's worked for me and no one can tell me different. Right? That's the pragmatist. And then there's fideism. Fideism, uh, fideism. Well, you should know fide, right? Bonafide. I remember from, uh, from uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? When uh, the guy escapes from jail and he goes to see his wife and she finds out she's remarried while he's in jail and his kids are telling him about his little girls and he goes, she remarried and and they go, yeah, he's bona fide, (laughs) as in bona fide, bona, good, fide, faith, right? In good faith, he operates in good faith, right? Uh, We uh, uh, confide, right? We in confidence, right? With faith, right? Confide. Right, so we know fide uh, or sola sola fide by by faith alone. One of the five solas of the Reformation, fideism is faith. But fide, well, fide is faith. But fideism is a blind faith. I just believe it. I believe it, and therefore it's true. Ah, uh, it's the way it's the way it is. That's just what I believe. And then you show somebody evidence. Yeah, yeah, I know. But that's just what I believe. Let it be. Right, fideism. And sometimes you miss 
match these things. Like today where people are not, as Van Til would have called, epistemologically self-aware, Cornelius Van Til uh, coined that, um, you might find someone who is an empiricist and a little bit of a rationalist and a little because they haven't thought these things through and a pragmatist and, and they got some fideism in there and and they are all connected in some way or another uh, in that they they are in within unbelieving thought uh, and so you do find people who sort of uh, wiggle and squirm between them because they haven't thought these things through they're not epistemologically self-aware and it's important to be epistemologically self-aware because how do we know things well the fear of the Lord is the beginning of it all, all knowledge, right? We have a revelational epistemology. So, for example, let's let's take the empiricist. I believe in the science. Well, the issue with that is that science is it, it doesn't tell a story. It's a methodology of testing creation, right? Actually, if you reject the biblical worldview, where do you get science at all, right? Because in the Bible, we have that God holds all things together by His power, right? That's in Hebrews, and in Genesis, it tells us that He created all things uniform. You know, that we know that days are a 24-hour reoccurring thing. The sun's going to come up every day. The, the, the moon's going to come up every night. And Job, he tells us that the, the, the skies and the, and the stars and the clouds and the ocean have all been set how far they'll go. And these are uniform. We have something that's called the law of induction. That is that the future will be like the past. Uh, bon Greg Bonson puts it this way in his debate against Gordon Stein when you squeeze the toothpaste tube you know that toothpaste is going to come out of the tube why? because it always has and if it doesn't you don't the secularist, the, the, the atheist doesn't assume in that moment, oh, well, there's time and chance acting on matter I guess toothpaste doesn't come out of tubes anymore That's well, that's the world of chaos we live in Right? No, they assume uniformity in nature. They assume what only the biblical worldview lays down the foundation for. They assume something's blocking the tube or I'm out of toothpaste, I need a new tube. Right? When I play my guitar and I strum, I'm a guitarist by the way, when I strum a, a beautiful nice G chord and it sounds awful, I don't assume, oh, I guess these notes don't mean what they meant a second ago. There's chaos. That's just time and chance acting on matter again. There it goes again. No, I assume the thing's out of tune or the neck needs to be adjusted. I assume that notes always mean the same thing, right? What blows my mind is atheists who uh, drive cars. <laughs> that takes a lot of faith because you don't know what's going to happen when you put that key in the ignition and start. There's nothing, there's, there's no uniformity in nature. They assume something that is different than what they profess with their mouth, right? And so science actually, the, the, the empiricist view, science doesn't even work outside of the secular worldview. Let's look at the rationalist, right? Reason and logic, that's how I know what is true. I come to conclusions using reason and logic. Again, in a Christian worldview, that makes sense. Why do I use reason and logic? Well, God is reasonable, God is logical. He's made things to function, right? Mathematics work. Two plus two will always equal four because our God cannot lie. He cannot contradict himself. That's one of the attributes of God. Can God create a rock large enough that he couldn't lift it? No, he can't because there are, as opposed to what many people might think, our God cannot do some things. One of them is lie. Our God cannot lie. That's what the Bible teaches. I'm not making that up. The Bible teaches that, you know, I wish I had the scripture reference with me, but you know, you could, you could look that up. It, it would take you a moment to Google it. 
Um, but yeah, our God cannot lie. He cannot, he cannot contradict himself. We get the law of non-contradiction, right? The idea that you, this, this table cannot be inside of this room and outside of this room at the same time in the same way. Right. So that's the law of non-contradiction. And so we can, we can rationalize. We have a starting point. We re, we have to, we, we, we start from God. He is reasonable. He is rational. He rationale and reason come from him. Logic, the laws of logic that govern the world come from him. And we reason from there. We start with the, the mind of Christ, the thinking of God, and we examine and understand the world that way. Whereas if reason and logic are the standard and not God, well, now we've got an issue because that now becomes the God that whatever your starting point is, whatever your source is for your thinking, that is the God. That is the thing you go to, to understand the world, not God. And then using the tools of reason and science and, and, um, and uh, practicing, you know, uh, uh, past experience, all that stuff not using those as tools, but rather using those as the source of knowledge. Well, that's your God then. That's that's your starting point. So the atheist actually has a God. It's an inescapable concept. As, as Rush Dooney would put it, it's not whether, it's which, right? And, and the atheist has a God and their God is often themselves. They use their reasoning, their logic. They're the starting point. The issue with that is if you're the starting point, how do you know your reasoning is rational? Brother Saiten Bergenkate, uh, a retired apologist, used to ask this a lot against atheists. How do you know your rational, uh, your reasoning is rational? How do you know your reasoning is valid? You've met people with invalid reasoning, correct? And they don't know that their reasoning is valid. So how do you know as a finite being who doesn't have all knowledge, who isn't all powerful and all knowing, how do you know your, ration, your reasoning is rational? Oh, well, I test it against other people, right? So uh, I reason this way and I see that that guy also agrees with me. Like the snow is white, right? I can see the snow is white and everybody agrees that the snow is right. And therefore I know my reasoning is, is, is valid. It's rational. Well, that's nice, except that what did you use to interpret the information you received from that guy? So when you said to that guy, the snow is white, right? And he said, yeah, it's right, obviously. Did you use your reasoning to understand that? Did you use your reasoning to take in that information from him and conclude that you were saying the same thing? You used reason and logic, right? And so it's you're actually in a vicious circle now. If reasoning becomes the starting point, you you just you, you reason in a circle and there's no way to, to, to tell if your reasoning is really valid. And so people would say, okay, but so then Christian, how is your reasoning valid? Mr. Christian. Well, apart from God, it's not, but my starting point is not my reason. My starting point, the only way you can know if your reasoning is valid is if you were all knowing. If you knew everything of all time, everything that could happen in the future, you would know 100% with certainty your reasoning is valid. Well, guess what? I don't have that, but I know someone who does. And so I start my reasoning with an all-knowing being outside of myself. He is my starting point and I reason the way he reasons. I, I try to. That's sanctification, right? It's shedding off the old man, killing the sinful man, and conforming more to the mind of Christ. Right? So Christianity 
has a basis for reason and logic. But if you make that the starting point, you lose that. Because how do you know your reasoning is valid? Even, let's say your reasoning was valid and everyone agreed with you. Does that make it reasonable? Is reason and logic just a convention that everyone agrees upon? Well, there's an issue because there was a time where the science and the reason and logic told us that I know it looks like a black person, but it's not. We can enslave them. They're lesser on the evolutionary chain. Right? There was a time when people agreed the earth was flat. I mean, the Bible refuted that, but, you know, there were people, the science said so, and people who disagreed with that were laughed at. So if logic and reason is decided by convention, were they correct at that time to say those things? You see, it falls into all kinds of issues. Pragmatism, right? Feelings. It works for me. Therefore, it's true. That's my truth. Right? Well, the problem with pragmatism is you, you can't get truth at all from pragmatism, right? The, the person who's, a prag, uh, who's pragmatistic will come to the Christian and say, your God is so immoral. Can you imagine Jephthah sacrificing his own daughter? Ugh, right? For those of you who are familiar with the story of Jephthah and Judges, it's an atheist favorite. The, the Jephthah sacrifices his own daughter. That's just wrong. And then you say, well, by what standard? By what standard is that wrong? Well, I can determine morality for myself. Oh, can you? So why should I listen to you? I mean, if it's all just feelings and it works for me, so it's fine. Well, guess what? Jephthah sacrificing his daughter works for me. So that's fine. You've got no argument against me now. Why, why, why are you trying to tread on my truth, bro? Do you see the problem there? There's no, if, if feeling is, 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 if our personal feelings and experiences is the standard by which we determine what we can know to be true, well, then everybody disagrees on some point or another. There's, there's no such thing as truth or knowledge, right? And I mean, some atheists, when you push them, they'll admit that there is no such thing as truth. There's only relative truth to the reality we live in or whatever. And so again, Christianity provides an objective starting point, the necessary objecting starting point. And that is not, the, not by the way, as some, some unbelievers would, would argue um, that God is uh, appealing to these things. He's not appealing to ration and reason. No, he is the source of these things. Because some people say, well, if God is rational, then he appeals to a standard outside of himself. So therefore, you're in the same problem as me. He's the standard. Uh, he, he's not the standard. Something else is, that's your God. Refute it. Except that's not my position. My position is not that God appeals to these things. That he, my position is these are a reflection of the thinking of the mind of God. This is the way God is. He is the source of those things. And if you reject him, you lose these things. If you don't start with him, you lose these things. Let's look at fideism, blind faith. What you'll find is when you push people hard enough in debate on their rationalism, on their empiricism, on their pragmatism, right? When you push their epistemology, what you often find at the bottom of that, well, what you'll always find really, but often if they're willing to admit it, is a blind faith. I remember an awesome debate where Jeff Durbin debated these atheists with uh, Cy Tentenberg and Kate and, and another gentleman, I can't remember his name right now. And one of the guys kept saying, um, I ha you can find this on YouTube, it's really cool. It's under one of those like uh, Cy Ten Thug Life videos. Um, so the atheist is going, I have confidence, I have confidence. And, and, 
and uh, Jeff Jeff Durbin's going. So you have faith. You have faith that you're true. That what you're saying is true. You have faith. How do you know? You have faith. That's your standard. And the guy's going, No, I have confidence. I have confidence. I have confidence. Right. And Jeff was setting him up. <laughs> he didn't even know he was being set up. Later on, Sai. Uh, I think giving his closing statement, uh, I don't remember exactly what part of the debate that was in. Sai goes up and goes, Bruce doesn't have faith. He has confidence. Con fide. From the, the Greek or from the Latin with faith, right? And so what you'll find when you push a lot of people who, who are functioning on pragmatism, rationalism, empiricism, is they have a faith, a blind faith in those things. Especially if they have, for example, what I mentioned earlier no uh, basis for uniformity in nature for the law of induction that the future will be like the past every time an atheist takes a step he's taking a step of faith because he doesn't know if time and chance on matter is going to change the earth he's walking on maybe he'll fall through the floor maybe when he starts his car and drives to work this morning he'll fly into the sky or maybe he'll just cease to exist or fall apart into all the atoms he's made up of, right? There's, it's all chaos anyways. It takes blind faith outside of God. If you, if you don't have God as a starting point, you are operating on blind faith. And if you push somebody enough, and by the way, I don't mean physically, I'm not being like, I'm not saying be aggressive with people. Remember, do it in love and, uh, in love and gentleness as uh, the, um, uh, as I had quoted earlier from Peter's writings, do it in love and gentleness. But when I say push, I mean like push back on what you're being told. Push back on what, question what somebody is telling you. Examine it. Ask questions. Don't just accept it on blind faith. What you'll find when you push, when you push people to consistently think about these things and be epistemologically self-aware is they can't account for anything they're saying. They're operating on faith. And as Cornelius Van Til famously said, atheists can count. That is, obviously they can do rationality, they can do mathematics, they can say 2 plus 2 equals 4, even though in a time and chance universe 2 plus 2 could equal 5 in 5 minutes from now. Right? They can count, but they cannot account for their counting. That was Cornelius Van Til. And so, revelational epistemology... Proverbs 9, I had read before, it's also in 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so that's where we want to start our thinking. And this is very important as Christians that we not think like unbelievers. I want to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ. If your starting point is something other than Jesus Christ and his revelation, then you have given up whether or not you can still use it. Just like the unbeliever, you've given up science, reason, logic, thinking, feelings, rationale. You've given those things up. You can't begin to interpret evidence, the information given to you by experts or whatever, if you don't start with the thinking of God and cross-examine everything you hear by what he says. Until next week, thanks for listening. God bless you all. Have a great week.